0: I want to cover chapter 17, if you'll indulge me this morning, all 26 verses. I want you to put down your notes, open up your Bibles. I want you just to focus on the Word. That's all I want you to do. I want you to focus on the entirety of the Word. It's 26 verses. This is what I want you to focus on. This is after the Last Supper. Let's talk about context. This is after the Last Supper. He's met with all of his disciples. They've eaten. Judas got up from the table, and he's about to betray Christ. After what we cover right here, they all get up. They walk out. They cross an area, and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And it isn't but about maybe six verses later that Judas betrays Christ, and Christ is arrested. That's where we're at. We're at that point where it is honestly some of Christ's last recorded free words. Does that make sense? He's not under arrest yet. He's there and he's able to just pray freely. So it's with great reverence that I want to cover this word. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one, only, true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them and I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one, as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory, that, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Glory. That's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? If that doesn't strike a chord in your heart, you better check your pulse. We have Jesus. It's his last moments. He's about to be arrested. It's his last time that he can truly minister and pray over his people. And he prays not for his own glory, but for the Father's. That's beautiful. Let's spend a little bit of more time unpacking that. I'm not going to go into each verse, but if you look at it, it's separated. Verses 1 through 5, I want to cover those first. Father (laughs) changes, doesn't it? He's not saying our Father. He's not saying Holy Father. He says, Father, it's intimate. He says, Dad, my work is done. My time has come. The hour has come. It's very different from what we saw before. Even in chapter 16, the direct preceding chapter, we see when he's telling his disciples, he says, In a little while. But that changes, doesn't it? It changes from in a little while, and my time has not yet come. It changes to the hour is here. My time is here. Now is the time. Now's everything that's been built up to. See, there's so much in these first five verses that talk about the relationship in the Trinity. And I don't want to get bogged down and preach the Trinity this morning, but I do want us to give reverence and to appreciate what we see in the Trinity here. We see that God the Son is praying to God the Father, We see a relationship where the son is saying, I did what you asked me to do, and I hope that that glory is given to you. Because, see, we know that there is one God that exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem goes to say, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is only one God. We know that that none of them are greater than the other. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit all exist as one. Three distinct, distinct persons of the Trinity that support each other and glorify each other. They glorify each other by their actions. You see where we have God the Son sitting there and saying that he doesn't want any of the glory. He doesn't want the glory that is to come. It would have been very easy for him to say, look what I am about to do. Look at the sacrifice that I am about to do. Look at what I am doing for the people glorify me you all bow before me look what I am doing for you it's not what he says though is it he wants the glory through him to be given to the father because while they are three distinct persons and they are all equally God they are also hierarchical in nature The way they behave, the way that they act is hierarchical. We see that where the the Holy Spirit is sent. The Son came down to glorify the Father. We see those characteristics. But everything is done for the glory of the Father. Jesus prays that God the Father glorifies him. Father, give me strength. Raise me up. This is the hardest walk that I'm about to do. Give me the strength to finish my work so that through my completion of the task you gave me, you are glorified. You are glorified. Everything that Jesus did on earth was not to raise himself up, but instead to glorify the Father so that man could come to know him. We go into verse six, into the next section, six through 19, and it says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. And you're going to sit there and you're going to go, but wait, 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 wait. They knew who God was. They worshiped him. The problem is, is that they knew about God but their relationship to the Father was through the law. Their relationship was with the law, not with the Father. Strict adherence to the law. They sat there and everything was to fulfill the law, but nothing was about the character of God. Nothing was about the intimate nature of God. That's what Jesus revealed. Jesus revealed a loving Father a loving father that wants you to be with him, that wants you to be there, a loving father that cares for you and doesn't hold you down and beat you down with with the law or religion. See, man had messed that up. Man had taken what, what was supposed to be for the betterment of the Israelites and man had taken it and went way overboard way overboard it was strict adherence to the law without relationship with the father and it took jesus coming to establish that relationship and to repair that see there's plenty of religion at the time there wasn't much relationship we see the faithfulness of god We see it through the demonstration of Jesus. Here he is. He doesn't pray or enthrone a king. My goodness, he's about to leave. You mean he doesn't put somebody on a a throne and say, okay, now you are the king of the Israelites? Rise up. It's not what he did. He loved us so much that he didn't leave us with a king. He left us with servants. He left us with disciples to lead us, but not to rule over us. The apostles were there to keep his work going, but not to rule over us, but to walk with us and to coach us and to develop us. You know, a lot of times we do that in the church house itself, don't we? We do. We believe that the pastor is there and that he's been enthroned by God. So then that puts all the responsibility on the pastor, doesn't it? Right? Then the pastor has to shoulder that burden. And we elevate the pastor to a point that really is unattainable. It's unattainable. We ask him to fail. And then we sit back and wonder and criticize when they do. When they didn't put themselves up there, the church body elevated them to that because that's not what God put in place. That's not what Jesus put in place before he left. What he put in place was a servant to coach and to correct and to encourage and to equip and to send out everyone else in their name. See, he didn't put a king on a throne. He puts servants for the people. That's his faithfulness. That's his heart. He's about to go, and he doesn't pray for himself, he prays for us. Because he knew that the apostles had been taken out of the world. And when they were taken out the world, they were given some knowledge that the world didn't possess at the time. When they were touched by God, they changed. Pastor often equates it to being hit by a bus or a truck. You're never the same afterwards, right? If You changed. You walk different. You talk different. Everything you do is different. Or at least it should be. I'm no longer recognized by the world because I'm not one of them. If I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm recognized by the world and I'm viewed by what the world sees, I better check myself. Because if I have compromised so much in my truths that I now resemble the world, I've got a problem. Jesus said, you've given them to me out of this world. They're no longer of this world. The world has hated them. The world now hates them. Why? Because we ridicule something that's different. We recognize the difference and we ridicule it. Right? We're no longer living by the world's standards. He knew that his apostles... They were going to be, they were just going to be tempted. They were going to be challenged. They were going to struggle. We all struggle, right? Every last one of us struggles. They were no different than us. They were common people that had a job, were plucked out of that job, were plucked out of that world, given some knowledge and told to disperse it. Jesus knew that, hey, while I was walking with them, I protected them. I took care of them. I, I, was, I parented them by the name that I was given. Father, by your name that you gave me, because you gave them to me, so I was a good steward of them. I took care of them, and I walked with them, and I protected them. But his time had come to leave, so his concern was, how are they going to be without me? Because now they've got to go walk out into that world. They've got to carry that message to the whole world. Father be with them. He loved them like a parent would. He prays for the oneness. He prays for the oneness of the apostles and himself because he knew that as long as they were one, then he could keep feeding them. Then he could keep in his name. They they could keep being fed and they could keep being taken care of because he knew that the Holy Spirit was gonna be coming down and was gonna empower them and was gonna walk with them. But there was gonna be that transition time and he knew that they were gonna go through some stuff because it wasn't until the day of Pentecost, right? Right? That the Spirit came down on them. So he knew that the temptation was going to be for them to run and to cower in that fear. It wasn't like they were they were Christians, or it wasn't like that they were they were they weren't Jews supported by other Jews defended against the Romans. no they were hated by people who were already being oppressed by conquerors. They were a subsect of a subsect. Everything around them challenged them. Everything challenged them for what they were to believe. And the temptation was gonna be that they were gonna compromise because can you imagine the courage the courage that it took to continue to meet, the courage that it took to stand up in boldness, the courage that it took to not go back to the old ways. Heck, we have trouble with people showing up on Sunday morning sometimes because they don't have the courage to get out of bed. I mean, that's real. You're talking about people that were oppressed everywhere they turned around. Everything that they did was going against the grain everything. And they still had the courage to come together. And that's what Jesus knew they were going to be facing. And he prayed that they were protected, that they were taken care of. Because see, when we go out and we go, and we've been doing a few things lately with really hitting the community. When we go knock on door to door, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It is. When you walk up, cold knock on somebody's door. You don't know. Hey, I'm here. I don't want anything. I just represent the Christians of the community. I want to reach out. and I just want to know if you need anything. You should see the shock on people's faces when you tell them that you don't want anything. You're there for them. It's not what we're used to, is it? We're used to transactional love. It's not what Jesus gave. Why are we used to that? That's not how we're supposed to live. That's not how we're supposed to be. We were given the blueprint of how we were supposed to be. So why are we that way? Why have we compromised to a point to where we're unrecognizable whenever we're held against the standard of the apostles and what Jesus prayed for them? Why are we at a point that we are completely unrecognizable? Do you think that an apostle would be able to walk into our places of work? I'm not talking about a church on Sunday morning. Would they be able to walk into our places of work? Would they be able to walk up to you at Walmart? Would they be able to walk up to you whenever you're on Second Street celebrating Mardi Gras? Would they be able to look at you then and say, that's a Christian? Yep. That's my people. Because that's the truth of it. Truth of it is is that Jesus knew that was coming. The truth of it is is that Jesus knew that the evil one was going to attack us and that the the world was going to pull at us so that we were going to start compromising. He knew it so much that he prayed some of his last words that were untortured. Untortured. He prayed that you wouldn't be like that. He prayed for how we were to walk after he was gone. Because he knew the struggle that he had been protecting them from and the evil that he had been protecting them from. Then he prays for oneness of the apostles that they are like him and that they are with him as he is in the father. So there's a direct conduit to the father by them. Again, we look at relationship, this care, this love that Jesus had for his apostles. He loved them. We see the character of God. He loves us. We get to know the Father because of the Son, because we saw how the Son walked. We saw how the Son talked. We saw how the Son represented and gave glory to the Father. We see that. We can read about that. Historically, we can look back at that, and we can see what was done, and that gives us a character of God. But he didn't stop there. Did he? You can see we finish up that chapter in verses 20 through 26. We finish up that chapter where Jesus starts to, starts to pray for the rest of the world, for those that will come to know him. He prays for the, for the, the growth of the church. <laughs> so that the world may believe. So that the world May believe. Everyone. Everyone. He prayed for a united body. If we look at Ephesians 3 6, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. One church, one church. Then why do we have so many religions? The fact is, is that that's man. The fact is is that that's man compromising see Worst part is, is that our enemies use it against us. The worst part is, is that our enemies say, why should I go ahead? I'm talking about enemies today. If you sit down and you deal with an atheist and you're trying to talk to an atheist and they say, why should I believe in a God when you can't even agree amongst yourselves? You can't even agree amongst yourselves who Jesus was. See, we we could sit there and we could point to all the differences that we have. Oh, well, this person does this, and this person does that, and this group does this, and this group does that. But I'm here to tell you that God has children in every one of those religions. Are there some lost people? Absolutely. Are there some people that are focused on religion rather than relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when I walk up to somebody and we're talking and I find out that they're a believer, my first words to them aren't, what church you go to? My spirit and their spirit links up and you see it in your eyes. You see it when you're looking at somebody because you know that there's, there's a common ground there, right? So you, you, you have a relationship that's almost like, hey, brother, you're a part of the family, Right? Uh, I don't ask if they're Catholic. I don't ask if they're Baptist. I don't ask if they're Pentecostal. They're a believer. And there's a whole lot of common ground that we can focus on versus the few verses that we disagree on. How about we start taking walk on the common ground first? How about we reach out for the common ground? How about we try to satisfy Jesus' prayer by saying that we are united body, that we are one. Because I'm here to tell you that when the capital C church wakes up, and it'll happen, but when it wakes up and realizes the power that it truly has, there's not an army in this world that could stand against us. There isn't. When we realize the capital C church, that we have a whole lot more brothers and sisters than what we realize, then maybe, just maybe, we can start walking towards the promises that we've been given. See, I see groups like men, by the way, Sunday is a card this afternoon. Don't forget, don't forget. But I see groups like that. When we walk in that building, and I'm using that because that's an example of one that I'm in. But when we walk in, it's not under the banner of anybody's church. It's not under the banner of this church is doing this and this church is doing that and this group is doing this and this group is doing that. No, I've got brothers from all over the place that I didn't even know. And it's beautiful and it's awesome. It is. It's almost like, so so I get to pick with Tim a lot, because Tim's a brother, right? Tim was a Marine, but I get to pick with him a lot. I was in the Army, right? It doesn't matter. We stood for the same things. We were common folk. So we can joke with each other and pick with each other in ways that nobody else can, right? It's almost like me and him can joke about something or somebody walk up and say something that, is a little wrong, and we like, both of us, like, what? What'd you say? You're not in this club, <laughs> right? No, you don't, you don't have the right. You don't have the card, right? <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the same way with a believer. It is. We are a family. We should be looking out for each other. It's okay that we give each other a little mess on the side. Right? It's okay that we joke and we pick with each other. It is. It's okay. But when that brother is struggling, I don't care if he's Catholic or I don't care if he's Baptist. When that brother is struggling, it's my responsibility to pick him up. I don't need him to go back to his church and someone from there pick him up. I have that responsibility. Because I don't care what branch he belongs to. He's a brother. She's a sister. And she's a believer. And he's a believer. And we're going to walk together and we're going to be all right. United to the Father. And enjoy eternal life. I want to revisit something. And it was way back in the front section. Eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life for us. Jesus defines eternal life as knowing the Father. What kind of knowing is that? Is that knowing about him? No, that's that's experiential love. Are knowing, It is knowing how he walks, knowing how he talks, knowing how he loves, knowing his character. That's eternal life. That's the eternal life that we've been promised. That we can know the Father through the Son. I know how Jesus walks, so because I know how he is, I know his character. Then I know the Father's character because they're both God. They're both God. And if Jesus is standing for this, then I know that the Father is standing for this, and I have a representative in front of me that I know how I'm supposed to walk, how I'm supposed to talk, because I want to have oneness with him just as he has oneness with the Father so we can all be one happy family under Jesus' banner. See, we struggle with that. We struggle with that and we compromise. And everybody thinks that compromise is a hard right turn. It's not. It's those little things that we compromise and it slowly gets robbed from us and it slowly gets taken from us. And we slowly forget about the heart of Jesus. We slowly forget about the heart of God, the Father. We slowly forget about how much they love us because we try to satisfy ourselves quickly. Can the worship team come up, please? I want you to remember that he knew what was coming. He knew what it was going to take. He didn't guess. That had to be hard, a bet. Jesus knew all along what was coming and what was going to be asked of him. He knew what it was going to take for man, not for himself. He knew the pain he would have to suffer, and he also knew that it was for our sins, not for his own. He was fine, he was blameless. It wasn't for him that he was praying. He was, paying, he was paying for us. His hour had come, but he wasn't worried about himself. He was totally selfless. He prayed for the completion of his work so that he could glorify the Father. Then he prayed for those that he had discipled and the things that they would go through while spreading his word. Finally, he prayed for you and me. He prayed that we would know eternal life by knowing him. Like I said in the beginning, this wasn't going to be a battle cry. This wasn't going to be a tilling up of the the heart. It was going to be a love story. A love story that your Savior loved you so much not only prayed for those that he parented, but he also prayed for those that were to come and so that you would be okay. That's the love that we have. The love of a son for the glory of the father who loved you before there was a you. loved you before there was a you so no matter what you do understand the depth of that love